I just want to share some verses on, you know, what, what God has been um, revealing to me about sanctification, and now we're to be set apart. And so the first verse is 1 Thessalonians 4. It is verse 3. It says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And the fornication is not only physical, but also spiritual. Uh, verse 7 says, For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. The second verse is First Peter 1, 13 through 16. It says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, in other words, children of obedience, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, which is your behavior. And because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. I looked up the word um, fashion, and fashion is an appearance or expression which do doesn't come from or is not representative of one's inmost nature. And we have a new nature, 1 Corinthians 5, 17, where a new creation, the old has gone, the old has already passed away. Romans 6, we've been crucified with Christ. So the old nature is judged in the death of, of Christ. It's Romans 6. So it's important that we be watchful and in constant fellowship with him so we don't buy the lie and attend to the lust that we once lived in, in that first nature. And the word is also in Romans 12, too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your, your mind. It refers to the habits, the mannerisms, the way we dress, our speech, our expression and behavior of the world out from which he saved us. He saved us from all, all this, yet we are constantly going back and behaving and being like the world. And by doing that, we're not giving the true expression of who we are as a cleansed, set-apart child of God. Instead, by doing that, we hide Christ in our vessel, and it's not being shown out. It's like being in a, a costume party or like a masquerade party. You put this face on, and you're not really showing who you really are, your new nature, who Christ created you to be. And so verse 15, it says, But as which he has called you, is holy. He is the Holy One. So be holy in all manner of behavior. We're to be experientially set apart. And this is something I'm like actually experiencing now. You know, Psalms 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Just the actual godly desires that are in my heart that don't want evil. And it's been like a huge like experience of freedom like coming to hear the, the word, receiving, obeying, and immediately be set free from things that I've been in bondage to my whole life. First um, Corinthians 6.20, we've been bought with a price. With his, his blood, we've been purchased, so we're not our own. We should no longer be conformed to the empty vain, Ecclesiastes 1.2, vain um, behavior of the past, how we grew, grew up, which is... You know, it's a big thing. 
what what we're accustomed to our race or you know our culture um, instead of yielding our members as weapons of unrighteousness unto sin that's Romans 6 we're to yield ourselves unto him and it's it's an incredible thing to just really like experience Christ in in this truth then the next verse is 1 John 2:15 Love not the world neither the things that are in the world if any man love the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. So he fills and satisfies every need and desire we have right now because he put that desire in our heart. And he's the only one that could fill, fill it. And he's our only need for all of eternity. As believers, our experience will be forever. We'll continue to know the love of Christ that holds us for all eternity, and yet to think we can be so foolish to go back to this world that will ultimately leave us happy and unsatisfied. It's doing the things that we know we should do and not do doing them. Instead, we do the things we don't want to do. And it's just a constant circle. Um, John seventeen fifteen says, I pray that... You should not take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil. Verse 17 says, sanctify them through your truth. Set them apart through your truth, because your word is truth. Being taught the word every day is how we can experience our position in Christ. And it's like real. Like you come, you hear the word, you obey, you submit. It's real. It's free. And, you know, I see, like, God constantly just cutting the things of the old, you know, since we moved here and putting this need in my heart for him. Um, we're to look objectively towards him, looking away from all that would distract. It's the word that quickens, it cleanses us, it comforts, it preserves us, and gives wit wisdom. It's his word that actually brings life into our existence. Someone said it last week. We feel like we're just existing in this world, but it's his word that brings that life into us. 2 Corinthians 4.16, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, and boy, I feel it. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And it's just incredible to experience um, the renewing of our minds daily through the word. And the last... Uh, verse I want to read is a psalm, a psalm of David, um, and it's an instruction for us. Um, it's Psalms 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit or trying to cover up or hide. And he knows, David knows this blessedness because he experienced it in verse 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture, my freshness is turned into the drought of summer. It's dried. And this is where he had turned. I acknowledge my sin unto you, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's 1 John 1, 9. 
For this shall every one that is godly pray unto you in a time where you will be found. Surely in, in the floods of great waters they shall not come near unto him. For you are my safe protection. You're my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You will compass me about with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you. This is the Lord talking. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in a bit and bridle, lest they shall come near unto you. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord, mercy shall encompass him about. Mercy wraps him on every side. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all that you are upright in heart. In verse 3 and 4, David was hiding from God. And apart from a submitted will, Ed shared this last week, all we can do is hide. And when we hide in our hurts or failures or sin, we keep Christ out of our experience. When we live in this world and attend to the lust that we're not separate from it, we experience, verse 3 and 4, the dryness, the emptiness of life. And we need to be refreshed through the water. What's the water? It's the Word. And um, the Word comes in and gives life. In verse 7, it's a contrast. He's hiding in Him. So apart from hiding from Him, now He's hiding in Him, in a safe protection. And it's a resting place that we can all experience when we're hiding in Him. And then verse 8 and 11 is the Lord speaking. Uh, when we live in fellowship with Him, and we're separate from the world, then we can experience Him in our true position. He guides us through that. In verse 9, be ye not as the horse or as the mule. I immediately thought as the horse is my own human strength, and as the mule is stubbornness, we have no understanding at all. Verse 11 really, yeah, verse 10 and 11 really wraps it up. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusts in the Lord Mercy shall compass him. Mercy will wrap him on every side. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy. All you that are upright in heart, all you that are in a right standing with him. So that's the verses that God shared with me. Good morning, everyone. Um, there's a psalm that I've been really blessed by. Um, ever since I heard it, and, you know, it makes me think of all those uh, beautiful verses that have been shared, and because I wasn't prepared, or because I wasn't concentrating, um, perhaps I, I didn't pay attention to them, you know, that are just like it, but this one in particular almost pulled me, you know, like, just called me, and it's been blessing me ever since. Um, you know, like, we, we're humans, and the things that we have in common is, like, we have the spirit and the flesh, right? We can operate on either, in, in either or. And, uh, the other thing that we have in common is whenever we wake up in the morning, if God blesses us with it, you know, um, and there is that moment where just thoughts start flying into our heads, you know. Um, and, you know, the enemy does not 
leave us alone for a single second. He just comes and he wants to destroy us and devour us at the very moment. You know, and, and this morning I was thinking of intentions, you know, and, and what that means to us, you know, and, and in the morning it, it happens to me. It's usually when, when I get either one thoughts, you know, uh, if I choose to submit to Christ or if I choose to let the enemy just have its way in my life, you know, because really uh, when the morning starts, whatever happens in the very first part of the day usually continues along the day, you know, it reminds me of the manna, you know, like the v it's such a blessing to have the need to go feed ourselves, you know, by something that we have to be dependent of, you know, there's a structure on it. So you go get it and you go receive it more like it. Um, and, and you're blessed by it, you know, and like what I was thinking of intentions, you know, it's like, uh, you know, you start, if you don't, if, if you don't submit your will, like you start giving, uh, the enemy this chance of like, formulating these plans, formulating these ideas, like of what you're going to do about a situation, what you're going to do about a person, what you're going to do about whatever thoughts come into your head, you know, and all that rest, if that's what it was that you had through the night, is just gone out the window, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, I was just very blessed uh, this morning, by that thought, because it truly is a beautiful opportunity to experience true rest after physical rest. You know, it truly is a a a, a opportunity uh, to let God lead the way on in the day. You know, because you're not worrying about what you're supposed to do, what I am supposed to do. You know, it's just, what can I receive? You know, what am I, what, what is God telling me? You know, we were talking, Ed was sharing on Genesis um, uh, throughout the week, at the beginning of the week, and he was sharing in the, in the parts that says that God said, you know, just the beauty of that is that he does speak to us, you know, and he does speak to us often. Um, whenever we think like, what is going on? What is going on? Like, you're probably not listening. You know, I know for a fact that in my life, I am not listening. There's too much noise in my head. I'm, I'm not tuning to the right uh, station. Uh, um, but the psalm that, that's just been really beautiful to me is it's Psalm 107. Um, and uh, I was reading this psalm a few times over the week, and I can't stop looking at uh, verse nine. It is just like it's just gotten my heart, it's gotten my mind, and it says, "For he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness." And that is just a very picture of what uh, my life has been. Uh, whether it is uh, because there's no teaching or rebellion or disobedience. Um, and, you know, and like we, we, we lead 
a very thirsty life. We are always constantly, always seeking for that well, you know, trying to get more water. But we're getting the water from the wrong well, you know. It's him, the one that we go to for us not to thirst anymore, you know. Uh, he's the one that truly quench that thirst, you know. He's our, our only need, and he himself fulfills it. So what a great deal that is. Like, I, I can't uh, think of any uh, better um, thing, in, you know, for us in our life. You know, and uh, I'm very thankful for that and for every single person in this room. And it's just been really uh, humbling and marvel marvelous, uh, the work that God is doing in every single one of us. Okay, I'm going to just read. Usually I don't, I don't preach on or, or teach on holidays, whatever they may be, like Christmas or Easter, or, but... This morning, I am, and the reason that I am is we'll see. We'll see what this is. This is Matthew, the 28th chapter. I'm going to read verse 1. It says, in the end of the Sabbath. It's very, very typical. What was the Sabbath? What did the Sabbath represent? That just, that, that just, in the Sabbath right here, in terms of what the Jews thought, it was all how what they were doing in the flesh to please God. That's why it was the end here. At the end of the Sabbath, Sabbath is on Saturday, so the Jews, they'll celebrate what they celebrate on Saturdays. Um, just like the seventh day, so-called seventh day Adventists, they'll celebrate on Saturdays. And that's why a lot of a huge majority of what they preach and teach is extremely legalistic because it's not including Christ. That's why they meet on that. And, and the Sabbath or the Saturday is the last day of the week. The first day of the week is Sunday. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead and the day that the church actually began. But in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, look at what it says, toward the first day of the week. Isn't that interesting? In the Bible, I mean, it is so loaded everywhere. The more hungry we get for the Word, the more our capacity experientially increases and the more that God can give us. No wonder it says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are all they that hunger and thirst. Oh, boy. Blessed are all they that hunger and thirst. Result? They'll be filled. They'll be filled. So it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the Mary who was that, to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning, his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The angel answered and said unto the woman this, and this is, this is the beautiful message of the resurrection. This is, this is my experience when my will is submitted to him. Here it is. Fear not. Don't fear. That's the first day. As resurrection life out of death is what? Fear not. For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He 
is not here. When I read that this morning, I felt these things like fear. When we fear, when our experience as believers in Christ, when we fear, is he there? He's not there. No, he's not there. For he is risen. Where do you suppose he's risen? Is he risen in each individual? The risen one who's above everything inhabits us. You know, it says in Psalm 22 and verse 3, it says that God inhabits the praises of his people Israel. But how much more for us that are in Christ? He is not here, for he is risen. Look what it says. As he what? Said. Come. See the place where the Lord lay. Then what does it say? And go quickly. Where should we go quickly from? Place of death, the place of fear, place of being separated. What do we do? We're to go quickly, quickly, and tell his others that were learned and that are sorrowing and, and fearful that he is, notice what it says, he is, because you can't keep him who is, what? From being risen from the dead. You can't. You can't. He is risen from the dead. And behold, look at what it says. He goes before you. Is there any place that God would ever tell us to go to where he hadn't already gone before us? No. Is there a place? No. Not a single place. He goes before you into Galilee. Boy, if we could go into these things. There you will see him. Why did they tell him to go to Galilee? Why not Bethlehem? Well, because he was born there. Okay? Why was Jesus brought up in Nazareth? Do you remember when Nicodemus, the priest, because of embarrassment and shame, yet knowing everything he was involved with, his need wouldn't be met, he came at night to meet Jesus because he had a reputation among all the other Pharisees. So he was a little embarrassed. I know I went for. But he met Jesus at night. You know what he said in John 1, 46? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Why was Jesus brought, brought up in uh, Nazareth? Because there was a certain man who kicked the family out of Judas, out of uh, Judah, I should say, out of Judah. It's very interesting. Because when you think about Judah, those were the 10 tribes. Israel was made up of two tribes. Judah was 10. All those supposed, supposed representatives rejected Jesus rejected him. So he was brought up in the slum area of his day. That's why he said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Yeah. The people poor, the people of the slum, the people don't have much, gladly receive him. The rich, not so much. Not so much. Why does it say that? Because why, when he did everything, why could he not do it, and why did he not do it in Jerusalem? the religious center of the day. We used to hear things like, this is the specific area. This one area is like super special. Then all the others from all the other areas would come there. Because this area was super special. See, that's what the Jews thought. The only thing is, when you look at the type in Numbers 19 uh, and, and verse 8 and 9, 
All the ashes, the result of what that sacrifice was crucified in type of Christ, was taken outside the camp. The camp is structured fleshly religion (laughs) that doesn't want anything to do with Christ. Right? And that's why Jesus, and even in John, in, in Hebrews 13, 13 and 14, everything he did, he did outside the camp. You know where all Jesus' labors were? Galilee. That's why it says it that. He couldn't do it there. The people were way too religious. <laughs> Jerusalem. It won't be there, not until millennial reign, where he will actually rule and reign. Fact of the matter is, that's what it says, he goes before you into Galilee. You know, he's gone before us in everything. Do we have to labor? No, all we have to do is come because he's, res- he's resurrection life in us. How far do we have to go? To meet him. He's in us. How far do we have to go? How far away do I get away from him when I doubt and fear? When I operate on my own, when everything about my life is about me. Everything about me. <laughs> we used to say that's how they tune up for songs about the self-life. It's called me, 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 me. That's how they tune up. Yeah. They tune up that way. It's not a very good tune, is it? Not very good at all. But all his labors, everything that he did were accomplished in Galilee. That's why he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, come unto me, all you that labor. You're laboring. And as a result, you haven't received my finished work labors because everything that Christ did was in Galilee. It couldn't be in Jerusalem. He was rejected there in John 1, 11. He came unto his own. That's right. And his own rejected him. That's in any specific area where we know what obedience is and we don't do it. We don't do it. Yet we might marvel at someone else that does it. Wow. Very interesting to me. Just don't understand it, but you know. But he goes before you into Galilee. There you will see him as I told you. You're going to meet him where he's accomplished every single thing about you. That's where you're going to meet him. And they departed quickly from the sepulcher. The fear there, was it the same fear? Were they afraid? They went, listen, they went to his sepulcher. They went because they they thought they were going to find a dead Christ there. What was that? What did they think? Did you ever think that all your plans and everything about you were dead? Did you ever think that way? That's what these people were thinking. They showed up to find a dead Christ, and they were going to mourn there that it was over. All their hopes and all their dreams, regardless of what he already taught them constantly through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he constantly taught them. Yet, yet, what did they do? They still sought a what? A dead Christ. Well, that's what they said. Listen. Well, guess what? He's not here. He's risen. And so they departed quickly from the sepulcher. Now they did because they heard a message of what? And it caused what in them? Reverence. See, so if you see the the word fear in any other translation in Matthew 28, verse 8, cross it out and put reverence. I will reverence him when my will is submitted and I function in obedience. Otherwise, I just make a declarative statement. He's not even my true confession. And when he's not, I'll just profess. 
and that's good enough. <laughs> While I merrily go on my own way, do my own thing, when I think I should do it. That's so interesting. Verse 9, it says, and, they, and, the, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, what? Jesus met them. You know, where does he meet us? In disobedience? No, obedience. They went forward to depend upon the word, and guess who met them? Jesus did. Jesus met them saying, all hail. And they came and held him what? By what? The feet. I want you to think about that. They held him by the feet, listen to this now, and worshiped him. They held him by the feet. I want you what God wants us to hear that this morning. They held him by the feet and worshiped him. Verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them, What? Be not afraid. Be not afraid. And when you're not, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go tell all my other brethren. You're going to have a message towards them. Hey, he's risen in me and he's risen in you. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there they will see me. You know what he's saying there? They're going to see everything I finished for them individually. He's going to see that. Now, do you see in Matthew 28, verse 9? Okay, they held him by the feet. How precious are his feet? Look at Luke 3, 6. Read, Matt, read Isaiah 52, verse 7. How blessed are the feet of them that preach, that teach the good God, that teach. Can, listen, can I have, if I have life, and this is what we teach about position, that has been imputed to us. That's been imputed. How was it imparted? Imputed is my position. Imparted is my experience. But how do I get what's imputed here into my experience? Look at what it says. They held him by his feet. That's how. It takes close contact. It takes an obedient will. It takes absolute submission. It takes looking away from everything else in Hebrews 12 2, that would distract us and having eyes just for him. You know, we've been saying this. Every area that I come to the end of my self-life, I find him. Did they find him? Or in their obedience by faith, did he find them? And he did. Now, we're gonna, I'm going to read from Luke. Because remember here, again, in Matthew 28, verse 9, they held him by the feet. I'm going to show you what that means, because God showed it to me. And they worshipped him. I'm going to bring out clearly what worship is today. Worship is coming, making a decision, prepared, ready, and disciplined, absolutely, not distracted by other random thoughts, because those are usually about who? Self. <laughs> you know, let's describe random thinking. Random thinking is I'm occupied with myself, but I'm going to come and hear the word. Yeah, okay, sure. No. Mm -mm. You can't worship self and worship Christ. It's impossible, right? But here's what it says. They held him in Matthew 28, verse 9, by the feet and worshiped him. Now here's Luke, the 10th chapter. Verse 38 to 42. Now it came to pass, as they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha, thank you, 
received him into her house. Received him into her house. How many times can we come and, and receive him into our life? We want to receive him, right? Watch. And she had a sister called Mary. Look at what it says. What was Mary doing? Watch this. Which sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Isn't that interesting? That's worship. Okay? That is worship. Period. And if that goes into songs about Christ, great. Because if it doesn't, I promise you, through the word of God, that's not worship. It's not fellowship. It's self-occupation. That's it. Based upon emotions. And not faith, obedience. Guess what? In the word of God. She also had a sister which sat at Jesus' feet and heard. Is, is that just, she was just hearing or was she instantly submitting to it? Because that's the word. Instantly submitting to what? Whose word is it? Whose word is it? Whose word was it that was preached this morning by two men? Whose word was it that was preached this morning? It was his word. That's why we were all blessed and thankful. We honor the vessel. We glorify Christ. Listen, and him alone. I honor men and honor the gifts that they have, but I glorify Christ. I don't make them equal. Okay? Very simple. And here is but, and this is separated, and I contrast. Is Martha a Christian? Yes. Yes, she's a Christian. Is Mary a Christian? Yes. Are two functioning in two different places? Yes. Watch. But Martha, but separation, contrast. Here's the contrast. Mary sitting at Jesus' feet, not only hearing it, but instantly submitting it and worshiping him in instant obedience. You want to worship him properly? It's called instant obedience. So it's called. If it's not, what is it? Is it worship? Oh, yeah, it is a form called self-worship. I, I think more of my will than the will of God expressed and fulfilled through Christ, the Word of God. <laughs> so all has to do with resurrection. But Martha was cumbered. Oh, she was completely overwhelmed. Listen to this. And don't tell me you don't think this is much of so-called Christianity today. Watch this. But Martha was coming about completely overwhelmed about, look what it says, much what? Much what? Sir Bang, doing things for Jesus and doing them for others. <laughs> and, and then as a result of that, was she serving him? And what is the word serve synonymous with? Worship. <laughs> Serving and came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? No one understands me. Here I am doing this and doing that. Where's my help? Don't, do you not care that my sister left me? Smart woman. <laughs> 
left me to serve alone. Yeah, good. If you're going to worship like that, the best place for that person to be is what? That's what we all need. We need to be alone. That's what we taught recently over the months. It's good to be alone. For God to teach us through Christ the Word, through a submitted will, where we're functioning that's not of Him. This all has to do with resurrection life, by the way. Okay? Thank God for that. Listen. And Jesus, that, that I want you, here's the prayer of a lot of Christians. Listen, she left me alone to serve. I'm all alone. <laughs> Jeez. Right? No one's helping me. Yeah, that's right. And Jesus answered and said unto her, what? Boy, he wanted her attention. Usually when it's twice, Martha, Martha. Okay, was he, was he condemning her? Was he accusing her? Okay. Now, would God condemn the flesh in us if we operate in it? No, it's already condemned. Where's the condemnation come from? An improper experience through self-worship. It's all about me, folks. I'm free to do what I want. Okay. You are careful? No, you know what that means? You are overwhelmed and anxious about everything. Your thoughts are all over the place because they only have to do with you. <laughs> and troubled. <laughs> troubled about many things. You see that word troubled there? Let's get a definition for that. Okay. Look at what it says in Isaiah 57, verse 19. Look at what it says. I create the fruit of the lips. That's proper conversation through proper thought life. Right? Peace, peace to him that is afar off and to him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Right? But the wicked, who are the wicked? You know what the word in Hebrew is? It's the unbelievers. Now, when I function in the flesh, what do I function just like? The, the, wor the, uh, the world of unbelievers. Mm -hmm. That's right. Oh, I'm in control of my schedule, my time. Everything about me. Boy, I'm so impressed. Come talk to me, would you? I create the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to him that is afar off. To him that is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Listen, his love for us is the same, no matter how far away we go for him or how close we are to him, right? But do I experience it in disobedience, an unsubmitted will? Look at, but the wicked, the unbelievers, are like the what? What kind of sea is it? Troubled sea. What's a troubled sea? Thoughts. And you know, they all revolve around you. Self-life apart from Christ. Apart from what kind of life? What kind of life do we have? Why is it called resurrection life? Because where did that life come out of? Death. Right? Jadiel mentioned it in Romans 6. He mentioned it there in those first 12 verses. Where the old self-life is crucified. It's dead, buried, and gone. We mentioned it a 
couple of weeks ago too. It's like a, a Christian that lives according to self, okay? It's like they drag around a dead body with them everywhere they go. You're going to get tired of doing that after a while. <laughs> it stinks too. <laughs> it's dead. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot what? Rest. Why can't they rest? No peace. There is no peace. What does it do? When it casts up rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. That's my whole thought. Mire and dirt. Bad thoughts. Bad thoughts. Everything, right? There is no peace, says my God, to who? Who's the wicked? The unbeliever. The unbeliever. Jesus answered, and, and, and again, that's in Isaiah uh, 57, 19 to 21. Here we are back in Luke, the 10th chapter, okay? Jesus answered in 1041 of Luke and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are what? Anxious and overwhelmed and what? Troubled about what? Many things. You know what the things that she was, that troubled her? Was the things that she thought she could control. Okay? And what were those things? That's 1 John 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, okay? Because if any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Where? In the experience. It's crystal clear in the Bible. But one thing, how many? How many things take precedent over that in the believer's life? How many? Still keep doing it. Yeah. I know that's right. I declare it. And even when I see someone else obeying, I say, wow. But I still live in disobedience. What is sane about that? Oh, God. That's supposed to be, that's, we're supposed to be overwhelmed with that? Like that was something great? Wow. What are you confessing? Tell me what you're confessing. But one thing is what? Needful. And guess what? Mary has chosen that good part, okay? You, you see this man over here? I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. Because coming to hear the word, okay, and we all have schedules, and I'm not, listen, please, we all have schedules. We all can't come to everything. I've never said that, never. But I've always said if God leads you to do it and you don't, you should. Why? Because I'm accusing you or condemning you or against you? No. But this is the result of obedience, seriously. And I don't know, we ever tempted not to obey? Mm-hmm. One thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part. Where's the good come from? From God, a submitted will. Mary has chosen that good part. Look what it says, which will not be taken away from her. And I'm going I'm to close with this. Listen to this. Read, read 1 Corinthians the 15th chapter. It goes right into resurrection life. The resurrection. It's just incredible. It's incredible. Maybe we will share some of it the rest of this week. But do you know that every, every right decision, every choice that we made that was right, that's, that is the gold, silver, and precious stones that go into this. And we're going to see this. And you know what God told me? Because again, for me personally, again, I woke up completely overwhelmed this morning. And you know what I was overwhelmed with? The fact that 
The resurrection life of Christ is better, not only for my failures and my sins, but your sins and my sins. Did we hear that? It's so much better than even those thoughts that the enemy wants us to be occupied with, that it's over, it's too late. You might as well quit. Anybody ever quit here before? You know what, you know what disobedience is, right? What is that? It's quitting. It's quitting. He never quits on us. Never. And he is better. He himself is better than anything or anyone we go after. Because he did it for us personally. And you know what that goes into as we close this? You know what that, this is what it goes into. And I'm thanking God for the very specific preaching and teaching of the word. That's what makes it necessary to not just go anywhere and hear anything. When God calls you to a local assembly, that's where, honestly, that's him. That's where you're fed. It's the truth. And he knows exactly what he's doing. Right? This is, this is Revelations and this is a beautiful thought when we think about it. This is Revelations 2 and verse 17. This is one of the books and booklets, and I'm almost, this one's almost done about the white stone. Listen, this is Revelations 2, verse 17. He that has an ear. Does everyone have ear? And ear? You know what the ear speaks of? A capacity to come, be prepared, disciplined, and to not only hear the word of God, but to receive and submit under it. He that has an ear, you got an ear? Let him hear what the Spirit says unto the church, by the way. To him that overcomes will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give unto him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knows except him that receives it. You know what that goes into? It goes into this, that each and every single one of us Okay, and we will have fellowship. Say, for instance, you, you reach the age of accountability. Now, will you have fellowship? Say that you have relatives, okay, in heaven. Will you have fellowship with them? Yes. Will they ever replace intimate fellowship with you in Christ? Never. That's the specific thing. That's what it's saying in Revelations 2 and verse 17. It's your whole history. And in that stone... Again, in that stone is inscribed a new name. The new name speaks of the new nature. It speaks of every single thing that individuals went through, and yet they never went through it without Christ. He was with them. Why? Resurrection life. I live in resurrection life. What is it? Is it constantly old or constantly new? Constantly new. You know, and every single thing that each and every single one of us has ever been through or going through. We never did it ourselves, ever, because he's our life. And he, I've seen this constantly in my life, he's better, he's better than anything in my life. He is seriously, he's better than my unfaithfulness, my personal unfaithfulness. He is better than my disobedience. He's better than any sin, obviously. There wouldn't even be a resurrection if my sins and your sins weren't dealt with by the way. And the other thing about the, the beauty of the resurrection is in Acts 17. You know, verse 30, it says, there was a time when God just winked. He blinked at those that wouldn't repent. 
or change their mind. But 31 says this in Acts 17, 31. What is the resurrection proof of? It's the proof of two things. Okay, it's the proof of two things, that Christ is our life. I'm not trying to live the Christian life because if you try to live the Christian life, there's areas where you're not submitted and a lot of those, most of them are known areas of disobedience. And all it does is keep you trying from a dead person, your dead self, trying to do something and never getting victory. But resurrection life is, the proof is that Christ is our life and we have the most incredible, incredible, glorious future with God. It's proof and it's also proof that there's judgment coming. For us? No. For the whole world outside of him? Absolutely. It doesn't touch us. Resurrection life proves that he's better in us, for us, through us, than anything. Our worst day, the biggest loss, the biggest thing that we think is gain, he's better than that. He's better than anything. And thank God, resurrection life is, is, is Christ constantly who intercedes for us in Romans 8, 34, in Hebrews 7, 25, in Hebrews 9, verse 26. He ever lives to make, he's ever living for us, making intercession. He's better than anything. He's above everything. That's resurrection life. And that was the message. And that's why he, that's why Mary would come and first thing she'd do is sit at his feet. Because you know where true worship comes from? Do you know where true service comes from? The life of Christ that we submit to. It's called resurrection and it is above everything everything. It's his love for us. His tremendous, deep, and eternal love for us. And let me tell you, we are going to fellowship with him for all eternity in specifics that no one, there's not another in all of heaven. There won't be another in that individual fellowship that we have. We will fellowship with others, but no one can come into that specific place. Do you know that's what he's forming in us right now? We all have that history. That's what makes up the church, by the way. That's what makes it up. It's all resurrection life. But 2.17 was a result of 2.22. It's called, and you look at it, in those seven places in Revelations 2 and 3, it's the sevenfold hearing and submission, submission of when the Holy Spirit takes the things of Christ through the Word, and shows it unto you. Okay, and that's another reason, thank God, for these gifted men. That's why we record these. So that if you do miss these things, if you do and you had responsibilities, which we all have, if you did, they're right they're recorded right there. It's still right there. All you have to do, and that still is the submission. There's the council. All right there. And you know what he's, he's, he's infusing into our experience continually? Resurrection life. Is it just resurrection life? You know what it's called? It's resurrection love life. That's what it's called. A specific love for you and I individually that no one else can replace, nothing else can replace. And you know what it does? It can continually, that's what it means to be renewed. Functioning in dead areas, functioning in new life new life. Isn't that interesting? 
isn't it? Well, you know, what do we have? What do we think that we have that's not his? Come on. What, what do we think we're holding on to? What would cause us to hold on to certain things and not live in the obedience that we should know? Would, would that be fear? And fear is, 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 where does fear have its roots? It's in pride. Did you know that? Did you know that? Because where does fear come from? The flesh. Who was the daddy of the flesh? Who was booted out of heaven based upon what? Pride. You fear? I can't do this. I can't. I know I should do this, but I'm not going to. You know, I'm going to put it off. <laughs> How many things we put off? We won't forget taking care of ourselves, or will we? But we'll forget God, won't we? He doesn't forget us. God, I've seen it. I'm, I'm talking in conviction of my own. He does not forget us. Does he? He doesn't. What an amazing love life, resurrection life. Resurrection life. Instead of hanging around as a dead person around a sepulcher, huh? could, that, could that stone, listen, before that stone was rolled away, did the angel have to roll the stone away so Jesus could come out and be resurrected? Nope. Nope. No. It was just them who were walking by sight. That's why the angel, the messenger, had to come and roll the stone away. How many times God has to do that for us? What's the stone? Isn't that the hard heart? Isn't it the will that does it? And is, is that who we are, though? Listen to me. Is that who we are? Is God telling us that's who we are? When he's not. He's not. And that's why he was telling Peter, Peter, behave. <laughs> Function in your character. Function in your character and not in your self-life. Boy, what a love life we have based upon the resurrection. So we thank you and praise you, Lord. Thank you, Father. And, and just give us a day, the, this day, so that we can just function on you. We can just have a picture of you. The thorn marks around your, your brow and your head. The spear that went into your side. The holes that were put, not in the hands, but in the bone below that. And in the precious feet that were pierced. And Father, that's love. That's, a, that's resurrection love life. You could not keep his love for us in the tomb. You cannot keep his love for you and I. We can't. No enemy can. Keep that love from reaching us. He loves us. And he'll never change his mind about a love, a shock, that will never, ever let us go. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.